a series where we're working through the church calendar and we're trying to orient our time around the life and ministry of Jesus, around Jesus himself. We're just saying everything in our life should revolve around Jesus, but we're in the season of Lent. We're heading towards the cross, and so we really are. I mean, last week started it, this week, and the next few weeks leading up to Good Friday, we are going to have a little bit more of a somber approach to the stories of Jesus. But we'll have a little bit of fun as we begin. You know, I love our youth. I do. I love our students. We'll probably won't see them until second service, but I love our youth group. And Wednesday night, our middle school group is here, and I have formed, and uh, we end at the same time. And I was in the hallway, and two of the students saw me and ran up to me, Pastor Jeff, Pastor Jeff. We were studying the Bible tonight, and we were having fun, but we were looking at different translations. You've got to read from the Hawaii Pigeon translation. I've got to. You've got to, Pastor Jeff. All right, I love our students. I'll do it. So Hawaii Pidgin, it's one of the two official languages of Hawaii. Uh, I imagine it goes much better with an accent, so I'm probably going to make a fool of myself as I read this. But I figured if I don't do it this week, when will I do it? And our text is short enough that we'll do it. So here's Luke chapter 13, verses 31 to 35, Hawaii Pidgin. That time had some Pharisee guys that come by Jesus and tell him, you better get out of here. Go another place, because King Herod like kill you, you know. Jesus tell, go tell that bugger that I tell. I'm glad you're enjoying this. I make bad kind spirits no bother to people no more. And I make the people come good today and tomorrow, and day number three, my work going come to pass. But I still got to go today and tomorrow and the next day till I get to Jerusalem. You know, before that time, the guys killed the guys that talked for God, and Jerusalem was the place they'd kill them. What's the matter, you people inside Jerusalem? You went throw rocks and killed the guys that talked to God before time. Plenty times I went, like, bring all your kids together. Just like one mother hen bring together her chicks under her wings. But you guys know, like, come by me. What's the matter, you guys? Every time, all poho for you guys already. I tell you guys, you know, go and see me no more time. Till by and by when you guys tell this the guy that come with the right for talk for the one in charge. <laughs> And we, like God, do good things for him. There you go. Hawaii Pigeon. Thank you. I was nervous about that. I need you to come back, second service, and laugh again. All right. Now we will, I guess, now we'll transition into the New Living Translation. There's a slight, a slight difference here. All right. Luke 13, chapter 31. At that time, some Pharisees said to him, I mean, you already know this because I read it, but I'll read it again. (laughs) Get away from here if you want to live. Herod Antipas wants to kill you. So we'll start there. And I think this is authentic. we, We try to get into the story a little bit. Jesus doesn't have the best relationship with the Pharisees. But I think this is sincere. I think there's some Pharisees that are, Jesus, don't, don't come near Jerusalem. Get away from me. 
be careful. Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas is the son of King Herod. He wants to kill you, so get away. Get out of here. Protect yourself. You you say, why would Herod Antipas want to kill Jesus? Well, because Herod Antipas sits in power as the king of the Jews. And Jesus is a rival. He's a threat to Herod's power. No, he's the son of Herod the Great. Actually, Herod's the Great's reign. His region was divided between his kids. But Herod Antipas is kind of in charge of this area. But Herod Antipas, which actually almost means like Herod like his dad, which is interesting. Uh, He is like his dad. What do we know about Herod the Great? Well, you jump back to Matthew chapter 2. This is kind of the dark story within the story of the three wise men. In verse 16, we find out that Herod is furious because the wise men didn't tell him where this baby was born who's meant to be the king. And so he sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under. Herod Antipas is just like his dad and Jesus is a threat. Rumor has spread that Jesus is the king, the Messiah. Herod's like, I don't like that I'm the king. I gotta kill this guy. I gotta get rid of him. So the Pharisees come to warn Jesus. So what does Jesus say? He uses two, and at the very end, we'll come back to this. This will be when we get to really kind of some of the good news. But 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 Jesus is gonna use two illustrations, two kind of metaphors. One of kind of, and we'll talk about this, an army almost marching forward to the capital. And he's gonna have these animals. So first he's gonna talk about Herod as a fox. Go tell that fox. We'll talk about what he means by that. Then I'm gonna and, and notice what Jesus says. I'm gonna keep on casting out demons and healing people. You tell Herod he can't stop me, and I'm gonna keep doing the good work of the kingdom. Today and tomorrow, and then on the third day, and of course, you know, Jesus is all, this is highlighting where that's leading. On the third day, I will accomplish my purpose. I know what I'm here to do, and we'll talk about what that purpose is. I know why I'm here, I know what I'm here to do, and, and that fox Herod, he's not going to stop me. He's not going to get in my way. Yes, today, tomorrow, and the next day, I must proceed on my way. And this will give us a hint. I mean, we kind of already know, but this will give us a hint of what Jesus is talking about. For it wouldn't do for a prophet of God to be killed, except in Jerusalem. He's marching. He knows he's marching to his death. We'll talk about that. And then just saying Jerusalem. And you know I got to lean into this because you've, if you've been across you for a while, he laments. Just saying Jerusalem, just thinking about the capital city and how they continue to reject their true king. Jesus sees people in Galilee following him, responding to his message. But Jerusalem just continues and he just, he just weeps, he laments. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. How often, and you hear the heart of Jesus, how often I've wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks. There's this animal imagery beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. And even more than that, right? Because if, you, if you've read it, actually, if you get our email, I put some of these verses in there. Throughout the Old Testament, some of the, so, some of the authors, some of the prophets would, would, would use this imagery of God gathering his people under his wings. Again, we get some insight into Jesus' self-understanding. He's putting himself in the place of God. Let me gather you. And then verse 35, and now look. Oh, this is the lament. 
This is the woe. Your house is abandoned. And you will never see me again until you say blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We've talked a bit about this, even in this series, that the kingdom always comes as either warning or opportunity. (laughs) Or we've said either blessing or woe. Blessing or curse. And really, how you respond. If you're like Herod and you're like, I don't want you to rearrange the world. Well, then the kingdom of God comes as judgment. It comes as warning, it comes as woe. But but if you're like those in Galilee who say, no, no, we're ready for change, then the kingdom comes as blessing. And it comes as opportunity, it comes as salvation. So let's walk through these verses a little bit more. Again, we're going to, if we're on a roller coaster, we're going to head into the valley a little bit. But it's important to care for our souls to go into the valley. Jesus knows his purpose. He is kind of trying to make this clear as we go through the Gospels. Jesus is coming to establish the kingdom of God. But he knows you can't have a kingdom without a king. So Jesus is on his way to the capital city. The city of David. The city of Jerusalem. And Jesus knows that is where he will be enthroned. That is where he will be crowned. Now his disciples are thinking just grandeur and majesty in the way of other kings. Jesus knows that he will be enthroned on the cross wearing a crown of thorns. That's what Jesus knows. He knows that he's heading to Jerusalem to suffer and die. But he will not. This fox haired nobody is going to stop him. When Jesus was younger and Herod the Great went to kill him, his family fled to Egypt. But not this time. He's marching right into the heat of battle, straight to Jerusalem, to his death. Now, there's a lot of things that hit me as we go through these verses, these stories in the Gospels. But I'll be honest, this week, as I was prayerfully sitting in the story, what struck me was Jesus' response to his upcoming suffering. Jesus says, I know what's coming in Jerusalem, but you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to keep marching. Nothing's going to stop me. And I'm going to keep healing everybody I come in contact with. I'm going to, I'm going to enter a city and there's going to be demons. I'm going to cast them out. That's what Jesus is going to do. And I'm struck by this. That Jesus continues to do good even when he knows pain is on the way. That Jesus remains, and we talked a little bit about this last week. He remains this non-anxious presence of good even though he knows suffering is coming. I mean, how many people do you know like that? Suffering is coming, but they remain non-anxious. They know. They know what it means to be human. I was thinking about how much anxious energy you and I exert. Not just us, but our whole world. But, but us too. How much anxious energy we exert trying to avoid pain. And I was just reflecting, if God in human flesh and God in human flesh navigated life knowing that pain was inevitable, maybe we need to do that too. I mean, two things, I mean, some of this came out of last week too. Last week we looked at the temptation narrative of Jesus and, and we played a little game just thinking, I know sometimes we might get in our minds these kind of false narratives of, well, maybe, maybe, maybe if I'm just 
if, if, if I live like a, a fully righteous life, if I can just somehow find a way to live a perfect life and live with perfect wisdom, maybe I'll never be tempted to sin. And I said, well, there actually was somebody who lived a perfect life and had perfect wisdom, and he was still tempted to sin. And I think that creeps into this whole idea of pain and suffering, too. Do you ever, I mean, don't raise your hand, but do you ever think, oh, if I could just live a little bit more righteous, have a little bit more wisdom, maybe I could avoid pain and suffering. And I want to say to you, part of the gospel narratives tell us that G- Jesus is perfect. Anointed by the Holy Spirit, he has perfect wisdom. And he couldn't avoid pain and suffering. Why do you think you and I would? This is part, one, one pastor says, pain is, part, pain is the price of admission for humanity. And if you read Jesus, you won't miss this. I mean, especially just John 14, 15, and 16. Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure. And he's telling them, I'm going to suffer. And so are you. If you're, if you're king, if you're Messiah, if your leader suffers, if the world rejects me, it's going to reject you. So, so, so I was thinking a little bit about this. Even just reflecting on verses. I mean, how much did Jesus know he was going to suffer? Well, I, I think Jesus was very aware of what was prophesied about the Messiah and Isaiah, specifically Isaiah 53, really important chapter for Christians. Isaiah 53, verse 3. Jesus was, or, well, it is Jesus, but Isaiah wouldn't have said Jesus at the time. But he was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. Your translation may say familiar with sorrow and suffering. That, that's, that's what it meant to be the Messiah. And Jesus knew this. We've, we've talked a lot about this story in Luke chapter 9. But Jesus, Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, all right. Well, let me tell you this now. Verse 22, Luke chapter 9, the son of man. That was one of Jesus' kind of cryptic ways of referring to himself. The son of man must suffer many terrible things. He will be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He will be killed, but on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. And the disciples never, I mean, really, they don't understand this stuff until after the resurrection. They never really understood because they're following a Messiah, and Messiah means winner. They had no concept for a king who marches to Jerusalem to be crowned and then is killed. They have no idea of how you could be enthroned on a cross. So some of this stuff doesn't make sense till later, but my point is, Jesus knew. Jesus knew Pain was inevitable, but he continued to be a healing force on the earth. And I was wondering this week, a couple thoughts. But I was wondering, if we accept pain as inevitable, would it help it? Would it make pain a bit more tolerable in our lives? That when you and I enter a season of pain, because they come and go, I, don't, I, I hope you don't live in a constant season of pain, though I know sometimes it feels like it. I don't wish for seasons of pain upon any of us, but they come. It's part of the price of admission. And, and what if we weren't surprised? Oh, I'm in pain again, but that's part of the human experience. I mean, even Jesus suffered. I knew it was coming. <laughs> I mean, until Christ returns, I, I knew pain was coming. When, what, if, what if we just knew that pain was inevitable? 
Jesus knew that pain was inevitable. It's part of the human experience. That pain is constantly present. If it's not present in your life right now, it is present in the lives of people sitting right around you. I was reading in a book this week on praying, weeping, and lamenting. This was a priest who wrote it. They said, as a priest, I see this every week. The amount of pain shouldered by even the seemingly happiest among us is enough to leave me reeling. I stand before the, church, the people in my church and I know their stories. Here's a beautiful woman who seems to have it all together. Her beloved son is an addict and she lives with the knowledge that her love is not enough to rescue him. Here is a man whose family seems perfect. He still reels from the pain of a father he could never please. Here is a woman with an enviable career. She longs to have a child and has stopped counting how many miscarriages she's had. My congregation is beautiful and ordinary, but in that one room each Sunday, there's enough sadness to make the heavens silent. And I don't imagine that's much different than our church either. Another author says this, we inhabit a world of hurts. Pain is an ever-present possibility. Grief stalks us. It is the human condition. Pain is no respecter of persons. It comes to us all. To take part in the journey of life, pain is inevitable and unavoidable. Or to quote a rock group from my youth, everybody hurts sometimes. We inhabit a world of hurt. And yet, and yet, and yet, in modern day Babylon, we constantly entertain some notion that we can mostly avoid pain in our life. We constantly think we've found the way. Contemporary life has become for many a flight from reality, an attempt to buffer the self through technology, ease, and distraction from the sorrows and dilemmas of our life. We convince ourselves that if we can just get enough of whatever, enough power, sometimes that's the allure of money. If I can just get a little bit more money, I won't have any pain. I I will tell you, I have pastored in a church in one of the wealthiest areas in Chicagoland. Money does not protect you from pain and sorrow and suffering. We think, we think if we acquire this stuff, then, may, then maybe, then maybe we can avoid pain, but it, it doesn't work that way. I mean, sometimes we even think, we even try to use religion that way. We try to, we try to sometimes make faith some kind of formulaic set of things that we say and do that if we just do it just right, then God will protect us from pain and suffering. As a pastor, that kind of stuff scares me because I walk with people and inevitably, guess what? Inevitably, pain always comes. And then if you've convinced yourself that, again, if I'm just righteous enough, I shouldn't feel pain, then you start to feel guilty. What am I doing wrong? What am I doing? What do I need to change? What, what I mean? and we, and again, we try to get God to do what we think he ought to do. All kinds of ways that you and I try to avoid pain, but it always comes and it shouldn't surprise us. I've talked about Jesus, but read anybody in the Bible. Pretty much every biographical sketch, I think every one of them, there's pain. And we're talking about, you can talk about Abraham, you can talk about Jacob. I mean, David is the, David is the, is the, is the Jesus descendant of David. David is a man after God's own heart. David's life is filled with pain. 
Some of it's his fault, but some of it isn't. Some of it is just the experience of being human. So we generally have three responses. If we're going to be honest enough about our pain and our sorrow, if we're not going to try to avoid it, but we are honest about the, the, the wreckage that is all around us and within us. We have three options. Your first option is to say, I don't want to have pain and I want to avoid it, but I've tried to make it pretty clear that that doesn't work. That's just, we try it all the time, but it's not a real option. And so we're going to talk about lament a little bit. Because if we don't make time for grief, it will not simply disappear. Grief is stubborn. It will make itself heard or we will die trying to silence it. If we don't face it directly, it comes out sideways in ways that aren't always recognizable as grief. Sometimes our grief becomes explosive anger or, again, uncontrollable anxiety or compulsive shallowness or brooding bitterness or unchecked addiction. Grief is a ghost that can't be put to rest until its purpose has been fulfilled. You and I need to be honest about our pain and our sorrow. Because if we aren't, our only other two options, once we, actually, I guess once we realize, we have two options once we realize we have pain. You're either going to transmit it or you can allow God to transform it. I mean, those are your real only two options. You can either pivot from your pain and then bleed your pain on everyone else. Or you can run to Jesus and let him comfort you. I mean, what does he say? I'm, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, but as I'm going, I'm healing people everywhere I go. I'm casting out demons. I'm comforting people. I, Jesus, will, he will transform your pain into a kind of grace. And he will turn you into a wounded healer. Which again, we love beauty across you. I think it's beautiful. I think it's beautiful. So let's talk a little bit about pain, about laments. Jesus laments. He laments over Jerusalem. In Luke 13, we are reminded that God himself took time to grieve. He is no stranger to the weight of heartbreak and horror to the ache of swollen eyes that have cried so long they've run out of tears. He did not numb himself or downplay the losses, and he doesn't give pat answers. Jesus laments. We talk a lot about lament. I did a series on the book of Lamentation a few years ago, and I've said this before. I I remember being two weeks in, and I was excited to do it. I had run it by our staff. They were excited. I'm two weeks in, and I remember talking to Matt, our worship pastor at the time. Why are we doing this? I remember even kind of regretting it. It just every week felt heavy. And some of you were in a season of, of, of pain and it was, it was resonating with you. It's part of what kept me going. But some of you weren't at the time. And years later, you, you know, when you went through that season on, on lament, Lamentations, that, that series, I didn't know why you, I didn't understand what you were doing. But they said, Jeff, in six months, after you preached that series, my season came because it's inevitable. It's part of the point. And I went back and I've had people, I've, I've listened to that series two or three times <laughs> because I didn't know how to lament. I was meeting with somebody this week. They said, yep, I'm learning how to lament. I don't think I knew what lament was until you preached on it. And I always, yes, it's so healthy. We like to imitate Jesus here. We think he's amazing. And Jesus laments. So we lament. So this is a little bit. I've, I've preached on lament. I won't say a ton about it. But one of the things we're doing is as we lament, we are 
Because as human beings, what we, we naturally, it's one of the things that makes us uniquely human. We're made in the image of God. And what we do is we take the details that we have in our life and, we, and, our, and our brain, the way God has made us, our brain naturally, instinctually takes these details and tries to weave them together so they're coherent into a story. Now, honestly, that's one of the reasons why the last two years have been so hard for us, because we've had all these details, and we've all had different ways of making sense, and so we come up with these different stories, and we don't all agree. It's been really hard for us. What's going on during this pandemic? Well, I think this. Well, I think this. Well, our brain is just taking the details that we have, and we're trying to make stories. Well, when you lament, what you do is you take the details that you have about the pain, the brokenness, the suffering, the anger, the bitterness, the sadness, the confusion, and you bring it into the presence of God. And in essence, what you are doing is by faith you are saying, God, this is the way I'm making sense of this. Help me. Reframe the way I'm... Help me to see this differently. Because, and we'll talk about this, right? There's good news this morning, even though we're kind of getting sad. But, but what do I say frequently? Because when you bring this into the presence of God, you know what you begin to, you know what you're reminded of? All the truths of Scripture that you have memorized? In Christ Jesus, if it hasn't finished well, it hasn't finished yet. That's what you get reminded of. So you get overwhelmed. There's plenty to be overwhelmed. I mean, I don't have to tell you sadness comes because we just lived through it in two years, right? But you bring that confusion, that sadness, that the pain into the presence of Jesus. And he understands because he's been through suffering. He understands. He can relate. He knows. And then he helps you. He reminds you, oh, but I'm not done yet. Walk with me. Trust in me. Believe in me. And allow me to finish your story in a beautiful way. Because in Christ, if it hasn't finished well, it hasn't finished yet. You say, Jeff, well, how do I lament? This is why I, I've told you I pray a psalm every day. On January 1st, I pray Psalm 1. On January 2nd, I pray Psalm 2. I just keep going every day. I pray a psalm. And almost, almost 50% of the psalms are psalms of lament. Think about that. That's, that was Jesus' prayer book. And half of this, almost half of the prayers involve lament. The psalms teach you how to pray out your emotion. They express every human emotion taken up again and again. They never simply leave us where we are. They are strong medicine. They change us. The transformation they affect isn't to turn our sadness into happiness. They don't take grieving people and make them annoyingly peppy and optimistic. They never say chin up or it's not so bad, and nor do they tell us why we suffer. But this is what the Psalms do. They fix our vision on God's love for us. And they teach us to locate our own pain and longing in God's eternal drama. They form us into a people who can hold the depths of our sorrow with utter honesty, even as we hold to the promises of God. That's what the Psalms teach us. The story is that in Christ Jesus, if it hasn't finished well, it hasn't finished yet. In other words, I know we can be overwhelmed with despair, but Christian hope is that God will lead all of his people, all of creation. Read Romans 8. All of creation is groaning. God will lead all of creation beyond the world of hurt. That's our hope. 
We have hope for a world beyond pain. Those promises are saturated throughout the biblical story. They find their culmination in the book of Revelation. And one of the books I was reading this week, just as I was thinking more about this, I thought this was, I've never heard anybody say this before, but I thought this was interesting. So, so I present it humbly, do with it what you will. Revelation's an interesting book, and there's a lot of symbolism. I have a lot of humility around that book. But one of my favorite, favorite images in Revelation is in chapter 24, 21, which is not 24 chapters, chapter 21, verse 4, where we're told that God is going to wipe away every tear. Now, I've often held to that as like that is just a picture of just the healing that God is going to bring for all the wreckage that we've had to live through. But one author I was reading said this, what if before we begin to live in a world where all things are made new, a world beyond pain, what if we weep with the one who alone is able to permanently wipe away our tears? In other words, all things will be set right, but not until we have one last long cry. Redemption itself does not skip over the darkness, but demands that every last tear run. (laughs) That was interesting to think about. Before we take that first big step into the new creation, we just have one big cry with our Heavenly Father, because that's how God heals and tends to our soul. A lament is so important to keep your soul healthy. And that is, I think, one of the primary ways that we go about experiencing transformation in Jesus, how he turns our pain into a kind of grace so that we can become wounded healers. Well, let's turn back to these metaphors I referenced Two images that I think are fun to think about. Uh, This image of Jesus marching his army, his army of disciples to Jerusalem to be crowned king, to be enthroned. And then this fox and this hen, what is Jesus doing there? Well, I'm I'm actually sad, but we have a very, very, very relevant event happening in our world right now that makes my point too clear. I mean, if you've been tracking at all with what's happening in the Ukraine, what happens when a military marches towards a city? Destruction. I mean, that's some of the stuff that we need. Actually, some of us need to lament that. I mean, with what's happening over there. Destruction. You see the pictures. You hear the stories. Hospitals destroyed. I heard about infant units like moved into the subways, right? Like it's just wreckage and destruction. That's what happens when most kingdoms are advancing and armies are moving forward. But notice what Jesus said. It's so cool. Jesus says, I'm marching to Jerusalem. We're going we're gonna to camp out in this city, but what's going to happen? Everybody who's sick is going to be healed. <laughs> Jesus says, we're marching, but people are troubled by a demon What's going to happen? I'm going to remove all their troubles. Do you understand as the army of Jesus is marching, he's only bringing life and new creation. He's not destroying, he's rebuilding. That's what Jesus wants to do in your life. He's coming, he's moving in, he's coming, it's an opportunity. Let him build you back together. Let him pick up those broken pieces. Lean into his healing love. 
lean into his mercy and forgiveness. This is how the kingdom of God, this is why, Je- this is why there's nobody like Jesus. Why there's no king like Jesus. why I love him. He's just so incredible. That's what Jesus does. He's on his way to his death and all he's doing is bringing life behind him. Flourishing. It's just, I love that. Somebody said this a while ago and I always think of this. Jesus just walking through the desert and it's like cartoon flowers are just blossoming everywhere his footsteps, right? But that's what Jesus does. He just brings healing. And so I want to end with this invitation really. But Jesus calls Herod a fox. Why is Herod a fox? Well, because he's a typical ruler. He's a typical king. He is a sly predator who preys on smaller animals. That is exactly what Herod Antipas is. He's a sly predator who preys on the weak. That's what a lot of people with power do. Jesus calls him a fox. You tell that fox, I'm coming to rearrange things. You tell, and this is why Herod's threatened, because what has Jesus done in Galilee? Jerusalem has rejected them, but in Galilee there are people who are doing what Jesus says. They're gathering under his wings. Jesus is walking. He's just invi- he's inviting you and me. Come under my wings. I'm this mother. I'm this mother, and I want to protect you. There's foxes out there that want to hunt you down. Or I was reading actually in a commentary, which I thought was a pretty cool, a pretty cool picture. They, they, the, the author was very aware of the fact that the image of Jesus is, is protecting the chicks from the fox. But the author said, you know, there are stories, real stories of barnyards that catch on fire. And as they go through the wreckage of the fire, they found a mother hen charred and burned and dead, but her chicks alive underneath. I mean, that's another kind of picture of what Jesus is saying. There's a fire sweeping through, but I'm going to protect you. There's a, there's, a, there's a fire of sin and death that is just running rampant. But I'm going I'm to I'm take, take that place from you. I'm going to die for you so that you can have life. I'm going to be the charred remains, but you're going to be okay. That's what Jesus is saying. So that's why I want to I end by inviting you. I mean, do you feel, do you, do you see smoke on the horizon in your life? Fire's coming. I mean, we got a little bit of snow left. Do you see, I mean, you go out and say you see the footprints of a fox and you know he's nearby. You're on the lookout. Come to Jesus. Run to Jesus. Let him put his wings around you to save you and rescue you and protect you. Let him forgive you. Let him comfort you. Are you mourning? Are you ruined? Are you undone? Are you wrecked with guilt and shame? Come to Jesus. Let him for, you'll find forgiveness. You'll find healing. And you'll find life under those wings. Amen? Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, that's what we want to do as we sing this last song. Uh, we want to live into who you've called us to be. We want to come to you. We want to find shelter and refuge under the healing, forgiving grace of your wings. So Jesus, we come. We we come. And and honestly, if we're in a season where we aren't experiencing much pain, we we say thank you. I mean, we're 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 not seeking out pain. And we know that there are oases in the wilderness. We know. And, and so we say thank you. I guess we just don't want to take that for granted. 
So much of the Christian life flows out of a heart of gratitude. We want to say thank you, Jesus. But we also don't want to take it for granted. We know that our brothers and sisters around us are in pain. And Jesus' lament here in this text isn't even hit for him. It's for the people in Jerusalem. So maybe if we're in a good place, we're, we're feeling healed, we need, to, we need to open our eyes to the pain of those around us and enter in. To lament, on the, lament for those in the Ukraine, lament for those in DeKalb County who need a healing presence. And for those of us who are in a season of pain, I know, I know there's many of us here this morning. That's where we want to start, Jesus. We want to run to you. We want to run to the healing presence of your wings because we know that you alone can heal us. You alone are our Savior. We will look to no one else for our healing but you alone. And we have great confidence that we will find it in you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.